0: Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about the Vox community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in Placentia, California at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Stop talking. Good morning. Oh, hold on a second. My sweet wife. My sweet wife is entering the building. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, pray for her. Pray for her. Uh, she's my first wife, and so I'm very excited about that. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we're hoping she signed up for another year, but it's a year at a time. That's how we do it. Just kidding. She's Six months? Well, maybe she's changed it, but I would, that wouldn't shock me. Um, hello everybody, my name is Mike, we want to welcome you to Vox, we are a church named after a podcast, and so some of you have discovered us that way, so welcome, This we're much better looking in person uh, than we are over the internet, I mean, I think we'd all agree, um, and if this is your first time with us, um, uh, a couple of things, number one, we have a website, voxoc.com, and that can, you can find out more information, you can um, give us your information if you want to do that. We do something called a new dinner every month. Uh, September, I think it's seventh is our next one and it's almost full. Um, once that fills to about 50, Then, because we do it at our house, then we'll we'll open up October's. And so, if you want to check that out, we also have little um, pieces of paper uh, that you can fill out your information and let us know you were here. And those go that we have like little offering boxes, participation boxes, at the entrances. That's where those go. Uh, Anything you want to talk about this morning? Anything? Anything we need to discuss? Football's back, which means uh, we made it. We made it through golf and baseball. And all the all the games, and now we're to the sports, which is uh, which is very, which is very fun. Anything else? Anything big happen this week? Anything exciting happen this week? I uh, love Okay, all right. Yeah, I have not I've not gotten my fill of rhythm gymnastics uh, since uh, four years ago, so I'm very excited to watch that. What were we watching last night, Honey Bear? What were we watching? platform diving. For some reason, my wife really likes the men's platform diving, and I just, and I, I'm uncomfortable. Is that, I just want to confess that. She's just like, man, these guys are built, is what she keeps saying. That's what she, I don't know what that means. I think she means their character. Um, All right, anything else? We're good? Let's do, let's do a little service, shall we? If, If you're new, and here's the, here's the crazy thing about us. We have folks in our community who are huge fans of Jesus, and they will sing, and they'll stand, and they'll do all this stuff. And we have uh, people in our community uh, who are still figuring out whether or not they're fans of Jesus. And, um, and so they will sit there and, and maybe fall asleep, uh, and that's just fine. I, I've had the effect on many people. Um, but, but wherever you are, we're thrilled you're here. And uh, what we're going to do uh, is we're going to tell, tell a story, we're going to sing a bit, we're going to open the scriptures, and you're welcome to participate however much or however little you would like to. Um, we realize people are in different spots all over the place, and you're welcome here as you are. Now, we have a huge, huge, huge emphasis on story, so I want you to meet my friend Amy Ray. Amy Ray, come on out. Amy Ray. This is Amy Ray now amy ray what oh you want to use that yes okay well don't stand back there though because that you come out of here
1: okay
0: all right all right this is amy ray Hello. she says she says it's eight minutes all right so let's time her that feels a little Please long to me. we'll see we'll see no i'm kidding i'm kidding you. all right so amy share with us a bit
2: okay hi i'm amy ray I struggle with rejection, anger, pain, identity, and unworthiness. So, my parents divorced when I was 16. Both my parents allegedly had affairs. They still blame the other 12 years later, and my sisters and I don't trust what the other says. God was just a holiday thing and a random summer camp with a friend. It was not an active lifestyle of following after the word and looking to something besides material possessions. Sorry, can I get this higher?
0: Yeah, sure. <laughs> Izzy, Izzy short.
2: Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, babe. <laughs> okay. Where was I? With um, the towel? No. 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 <laughs> okay. I grew up with my dad being very wealthy and as having lots of toys and cars and things and us all being entitled. Then my dad took it away from my mom and my three sisters and I. I rebelled and started drinking and partying and hanging with the wrong crowd at age 13 before my parents' divorce, whether for attention from them outside their screaming and drama or just wanting to try something new, I'm not really sure. I moved nine times in seven years, going from mom to dad's house, to them wanting to work it out, to them deciding they couldn't, to my dad helping us financially, to my dad leaving us, and my mom and my sisters and I sharing a one-bedroom. The divorce all happened when my older sister went to college and I became the older sister who had to watch out and be present at home. My mom took a lot out on me verbally yelling, often that my dad didn't love us, and mad at us for him leaving and remarrying a woman half his age. I was in the center of many arguments and felt like the mediator of my parents' drama. My mom found a divorce recovery group at a church a few years after, and we started attending services. Though we went often the life after... The life at home was still a mess with yelling, dad not paying bills, mom working three jobs, me working and in high school, rejection, isolation, confusion, unworthiness, and loss. I said I believe at 19 in a church service, but I don't think I understood what it meant because my actions didn't match my words.
0: When you say I believe, what do you mean?
2: Like you stood up and said, I believe. In the church? Yes.
0: So, okay, that was the Jesus moment for you? Yes. Okay. I don't know that everyone knows what that is.
2: Oh, sorry, yes. yes. So they like.
0: Yeah, I believe in Zeus. I believe I can fly.
2: I do believe I can can fly. That's my favorite song. All right,
0: that's good. Sorry.
2: (laughs) At 21, I was baptized with one of my younger sisters. We were lost in a mess and still not fully following the word. I was dating somebody who had an amazing family at that time, and the parents' love and support helped me see who Jesus was and what it meant to walk and live by his fruits, not the drama and up and downs of my parents, who supposedly were walking with this Jesus man. During this time, my dad went to jail for business junk and we did not see him for two years. It became the norm for me, the courts, cops yelling, family living a lie that I was okay, when really I was just desensitized by what was going on at home from what looked like a healthy dynamic. Hmm. That person I was dating, we broke up when I was 23 and that rocked my world. Though there was an inner peace about our mutual decision, and I will say that was probably the first time in 10 years I felt loved and cherished because I knew I had a heavenly father walking with me daily through that hurt on top of my family's hurt and rejection. It was one of the biggest blessings where God revealed more of his nature to me. Hmm. Page two.
0: Page one was epic.
2: Oh, thanks, it gets better.
0: Or worse, depending on your point of view, yes.
2: It gets a little bit of both. okay. I was teaching fitness at the time and felt called to go back to school that fall During this time, I started having really bad shoulder pain. After two years of teaching fitness, I cut back on my teaching and only taught part-time as I went to school and worked in ministry at a church plant until it closed. Within months of school and ministry, I felt called to switch my major from kinesiology to religion. I felt called to start a woman's Bible study at the same time, even though I was such a new believer. I started to discover the community I had around me becoming my family. I met my husband the following year. He's right here. He's cute. (laughs) we met april 6 2013 and married one year to the date april 6 2014. he's my angel my shoulder pain started getting worse i tried endless options from mris to multiple doctors telling me it's just a micro tear and i should just do physical therapy or take shots so i got three cortisone shots loads of physical therapy laser therapy acupuncture sugar therapy and cupping and lots of money spent with no outcome after two years of this i do
0: sugar therapy all the time and it works (laughs)
2: Do you know what it is? No. They inject sugar into the tear.
0: I inject sugar elsewhere. (laughs) To
2: rebuild it.
0: But okay. I do too in my mouth. Okay. All right.
2: (laughs) Okay. After two years, there was no outcome. The pain was becoming my life when I had to quit my fitness career. To say I was sad is an understatement. I was miserable, depressed, confused, thinking I found my passion and turned it into a job that I had fallen so good at and then God took it away. And I had the motto, this isn't fair. So much had already happened to me, why this, why me? Why do other people not even know what hungry, broke, full of hurt and pain look like? This was my internal thinking for quite some time and I got angry at God. My husband was so supportive, his new wife, a few months into marriage, quitting her job in a mess. I found a job at the university I went to and then at a church. I took a year and a half off teaching, thinking it would better my body. I then saw holistic doctors, and I believe in them. I had some other medical stuff happen, including hair loss, severe migraines, and severe exhaustion. I had to switch my eating habits, and it started to help the pain and the health issues, eliminating foods that worsen the inflammation. After having left my fitness job, I was a hidden wreck, even in my ministry job. All I wanted was to move my body work out, and get back to the fit meat. It took all this to realize my identity became what I did and took me not doing it to see how connected I was to the job title as a person. I quit my ministry job and I am back teaching fitness now, but only part-time. That in itself is a work in progress. I've always worked multiple places, was in school, and did all things at once. After finishing school at the end of 2015, these past eight months have been a learning of how much I found my worth in the things I do, and now I'm finding more white space and rest from the busy old me. I still have pain. I had a meltdown just last week because I'm not healed and feel helpless in that area of my life. I monitor what I can and cannot eat, and that is really hard because a lot of people make fun of me or question me and not believe that the food actually causes the pain. The pain is nothing compared, page three, the last page, to what I felt two years ago. I'm still trying to find my identity in what I do. Realizing I'm a daughter of the king is a struggle. I know I cannot compare my earthly father with my heavenly father, but I do, and that's because I'm human and tangibly, what I saw wasn't that great for many years. Following Jesus has been really hard. I have issues with rejection from my parents, and that has manifested in my walk. Friends have not wanted to be my friend because of my choice in following Jesus. I've stayed strong in my choices, but that doesn't make it easier to see people continually leaving your life. What I do know is that God did not cause my injury, I believe in Romans 8.28 that he's used it for good, but he didn't cause it. However, that doesn't make me less angry. I see the fruit and path of my parents' divorce, going from money to broke, identity and fitness to finding identity in him, to working in ministry and meeting my hot husband, but I'm still in pain. I'm on this journey. I suffer from perfectionism at times, trying to control what I can because so much of my life has been unstable and out of control. Hmm. My mom survived cancer last year. My father-in-law survived a heart attack this year. My husband had surgery last month to remove a kidney stone. Lots of bad stuff. I'm angry. I'm in pain. I have body issues due to my dad having made fun of my mom's looks and weights growing up. I feel rejection from years of my parents' divorce being the highlight of our family. I'm trying to rebuild relationships with both my parents and forgive them for all that was done. I feel unworthiness and at times hide who I am for fear of rejection of others. And I'm in constant battle with myself that my rejection is gonna manifest into who I am, but I need to remember that I am his daughter and what I do doesn't define me. I'm in therapy for all of that. (laughs) I felt God prompting me to share because my story isn't pretty with a bow tie or sealed in a crisp white envelope. It's a mess and I need Jesus just as much as the next person to keep moving forward.
0: Yes, Amy! Oh, that was wonderful. Oh, my goodness. And that's that's why uh, we have courageous folks share uh, every week, uh, because some of you will find your story uh, in Amy's story. And I would say the one thing that we're great at, right? We're not we're not the biggest, We're not the brightest, We're not the fastest. But you know what? We lead the the Orange County area in the most screw ups per capita as a church, and so we're very excited about that. I mean, I'm talking, I'm talking, you don't even know, you don't even know how jacked up this place is and the people are here, and so it's a wonderful thing. Amy, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing. Thank we you. love you so much. Thank you. Yep. And Taylor, the hot husband. Now, do you see how she talks about him? Do you see how, how there's this joy Sorry, it's my wife. Uh, I'm not going to repeat what she said. Now, uh, um, we are, uh, as a community, we've been, we're compelled by the beauty of Jesus. We just think in the midst of a crazy world, a divided world, a world that is full of turmoil and suffering and animosity, we think there's something beautiful about Jesus of Nazareth. Whether or not you believe he's God, whether or not you accept him as Savior, uh, we just think there's beauty to who he is. And one of the ways we've been looking at that beauty has been we've been looking at the insults that have been directed his way. Uh, by the religious leaders. The thing that was so interesting about Jesus, the religious people were suspicious of him and the screw-ups loved him. And that's flipped. And we want to kind of recapture what made him so compelling to the screw-ups. And so uh, I'm going to invite Izzy out and and her crew. And what we're going to do is, this is kind of the last insult we're going to look at this week. Um, We want to put, while she's singing, we're going to do two songs um, we're going to put some of the insults that the religious leaders said to Jesus. And I want you to think about the kind of God that subjects God's self to that, that comes in a way where these things could be said. Because the goal of, of seeing the insults is to realize, well, he would have hung out with us. He, w- he would have been completely okay hearing the judgment of religious leaders for spending time with us. And so these, this is the example of the judgments of religious leaders that were coming his direction. So, Izzy, why don't you take it away, and we'll put we'll put pieces of the biographies of Jesus up on the screen uh, to just reflect on. Um.
1: hold me Let me catch my breath Cause I can't breathe I'm surrounded by death But there's still hope Satisfy my soul. I rest in You alone. I know that You're my refuge, my anchor through the storm. I know that You are mighty. I trust You through it all.
0: Now. If you have a Bible, let's go to the book of Mark. If you don't, if you're new to the Bible, if you're skeptical about the Bible, if you are unfamiliar with the Bible, we're going to put everything up on the screens, Um, and uh, this is going to be the last insult. To me, it was kind of shocking to read some of those uh, insults, even though we've been kind of immersed in them. It's still astounding that when God, according to the biblical story, that when God decided to make a personal appearance on planet Earth, he got accused of eating with the wrong people. And welcoming the wrong people. I mean, I just think, I I just, I never, I personally never want to lose how ridiculous that is and what that says about what God is actually like. And so we've got an insult, the last one we're going to look at, buried in a very long section of a crucifixion account uh, in the book of Mark. So there are four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark we think was written to non-Jewish Romans. So these are people familiar with Rome, living in Rome, Roman citizens, non-Roman citizens, slaves, masters, I mean the whole kind of craziness of Rome. This was telling the story of Jesus with a particular sensitivity to uh, non-Jewish Roman people. And so Mark emphasizes some things that some of the other biographies leave out. So Mark 15, now this is a long chunk of Bible reading. Um but follow along, it's it's stuff if, if you know, if you've ever been to an Easter service or a Good Friday service, I mean this stuff is is relatively culturally familiar. Uh, Mark 15 verse 16. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, Mark emphasizes, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns. And set it on him. And then they began to call out, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again. Now that's the insult. Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes back on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon... The father of Alexander and Rufus was passing by on his way in from the country and they brought him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means, and this is another mark of parenthetical comment, which means the place of the skull or the place of the head. It's better translated, the place of the head. Because the word here for skull isn't an empty skull. It's just a head that doesn't have skin on it. So it's a full head. This becomes relevant in a moment, believe it or not. Um, and they crucified him, oh excuse me verse twenty three then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him, dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see each one each uh, to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The notice of the charge against him read what the king of the Jews now was that sincere? no, not even remotely I mean that was that was Sarcasm, that was, oh, oh, here, here, Jews, here's your king. Trampled underfoot by the Romans. The charge against him read the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so, you who are going to destroy the Jerusalem temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself." In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, some of the religious leaders, said among themselves, they mocked him, saying, He saved others, but let's see if he can save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those that were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice something in Aramaic that I'm not going to try to pronounce. But Mark translates it for us. And it means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, people take this to mean that God somehow abandons Jesus. No, 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 no. This this is the first part of a psalm, Psalm 22, about the vindication of God's righteous one. So Jesus is actually talking about his suffering, but from the point of view that this is actually going to be vindication. When some of those standing there heard Jesus say this, They said, listen, he's calling Elijah, because that first Aramaic word sounds like Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, this was the curtain that separated something called the most holy place where it was thought by the Jews that God took up residence. It separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple. And the idea was that the temple... The curtain, it was separated by a curtain, and that this curtain was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing no human being did this. This was God now renting open the temple system. Now there was, there was no need for a physical temple now that Jesus had come and died and he was going to soon rise again. The curtain, uh, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there, centurion's a Roman commander... And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how Jesus had died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Now, a lot of us are familiar with this story, but there are some details that Mark throws in and an ordering that Mark throws in that doesn't quite, it doesn't quite jump out at us the way that it would had we been Roman. So I want to put us back into first century Rome so that if you were hearing this read or if, if you were seeing this happen or you were reading it yourself, some things would have jumped out at you that I think very often we just miss kind of 2,000 years later. Now, to do that, I've got to, I've got to do about, I don't know, 10 minutes of Roman history, Roman background. And I need to start by talking about something called a triumphal procession. Okay, the Romans, when Rome took power... They, they just stole cultural ideas from everybody. They, they weren't inventors of culture. They were stealers of culture from others. And they adapted a Greek idea that was actually an Etruscan idea, if you're interested in keeping score at home, where you would do a procession through a city, and, and the procession would indicate that someone was rising to deity. So the, the Greeks did this around the god Dionysus. Dionysus was the god of death and resurrection, and so what they would do is if a king came into power, the king would dress as Dionysus, and the king would parade through the town, and then uh, there would be a, a sacred animal behind the king. The sacred animal would be slaughtered, symbolizing the death of of uh, Dionysus, and then the king would reveal himself as the resurrected Dionysus, and it was a way not only to worship Dionysus, but it was a way to proclaim the divinity of the king. Makes sense so far? Now Rome got a hold of this, and initially a triumph was for generals who had conquered other nations. There they, they were lavish processions where you would parade all the plunder you'd taken and the high-ranking captives you'd taken, But after 20 B.C. or so, the only people that were allowed to triumph were Roman emperors, the the leaders of Rome. And Julius Caesar threw himself many of these, Caesar Augustus very famously. Here are the steps that soon came into being about how to throw a Roman triumph. And, And triumph, the word triumph here doesn't mean victory, although it can mean that. But it also means revelation of God. It's like epiphany. There's, there's a God revealing him or herself in the midst of this. All right, so let's talk about how to throw a triumph. If you, if you want to do this at 4th of July, I highly recommend it. It works very well. Okay, not so much. All right. So fire up the single sentences, Bruce. So first step, the, the Praetorian Guard gathers around the soon-to-be-crowned emperor. The Praetorian Guard, they were the special forces. They were the personal bodyguards of the emperor, they were the bodyguards, they were a secret service, they were the bodyguards that would be around a guy named Pontius Pilate, who was in Rome, or excuse me, in Jerusalem at the time of the crucifixion of Jesus. All right, so they have a place called the Praetorium where they, where they gathered, and the, the emperor would be there meeting first with his bodyguard, secondly, next slide, Um, the Praetorium in Jerusalem. So this is a model of uh, what Jerusalem looked like back in the first century. So if you go to Israel, it's, it's kind of, so they have this like miniature model that takes up half a block or something. It's absolutely crazy. In Jerusalem, the Praetorium was in the, to the right side. Do you see those the four-column building? It was called the Antonia Fortress. That was where the Praetorium was Next. That's actually the courtyard that if you go to Israel, they say that uh, Jesus was examined in. Next. So that was the praetorium right there. Another, another wonderful picture for my camera. Next. Now, what would happen, the second step in uh, a Roman procession, is that the praetorian guard would bring three things to the emperor. First thing they would bring is a laurel wreath. You see that here? The laurel wreath symbolized victory over enemies. They would bring a purple robe. Purple was the color of royalty. And then they would bring a staff or a scepter. That was a symbol of authority. And when you see pictures of Caesar uh, in triumphal procession, Caesar always has these things. The wreath, often a slave would carry the wreath over your head. You would not actually put it on your head. Purple robe and a scepter. Next slide. This is kind of what it would look like. You'd have a chariot drawn by four white horses. All of Rome would turn out. Next slide. Uh, Going along with you, and this is a little tough to see, but going along with you, if you were the emperor, would be a bull. This was the sacrifice you were going to make. Now, the interesting thing, now pay attention. I know that you're like, (laughs) what? (sighs) What does this have to do with anything? This is going to make you rich. Okay, this is how to make money in real estate, all right? So just pay attention. This is super important. It was incredibly important during a triumphal procession that the sacrifice would be brought along with the king or the emperor, and the executioner would be walking next to it with the instrument of execution. So in this case... We know from Roman history that you'd bring someone in from the countryside who specialized in sacrificing animals. They would carry an axe next to the bull. Do you see that? This is how, this is how they would sacrifice it. Next. So this is all the same. This was from uh, Tiberius' triumphal procession. So here's Tiberius. You see the slave holding the laurel wreath. You see the scepter. The bull would be tracking along behind him with a servant carrying the instrument of execution. Now, what they would do, next slide, as they were processing, people would be shouting, Hail Caesar, Hail Caesar, Triumpe, Triumpe, which is show us your God. Victory, show us your God. Hail Caesar. It would start with the Praetorian Guard and it would build to the entire community. They would process their way up to the, in Rome, it was the Temple of Jupiter which is an artist's rendition. Next slide. That's what they thought it looked like. And there, they would offer the emperor a bowl of wine. The emperor would refuse to take it and would instead pour it out over the bowl. The bowl would be sacrificed. All right, now pay attention, just a couple more minutes. And then the emperor would walk up those stairs... With someone on his right and left. And, the, the, and the, history, the Roman histories are very specific. It was always someone on the right and someone on their left. And they, they always had to be very, very influential figures. Because the, who, who sat on the right and the left of the emperor was a reflection of how important the emperor was. So very often the emperor would have conquering generals, relatives, um, uh, councils, um, but they would always, the emperor would ascend the steps and the emperor would be highest and then below the emperor would be on his right and his left, uh, the two other people, All right? Then the crowd would say, hail Caesar, imperator, hail Caesar, triumphae, Hell Caesar. They had all sorts of slogans and creeds they would say about Caesar that, that increasingly over the course of the first century reflected the belief that Caesar was divine. So they would sing hymns and some of those hymns are packed into revelation being sung to Jesus which is a different teaching altogether. All right, next slide. Nope, go, Nope, not that one yet. So what you have, what you have is you have these steps. The praetorian guard gathers. The praetorian guard wreath, robe, scepter. The praetorian guard acclaims Caesar in the praetorium. Then they process through the city. The crowds are shouting. They have the sacrificial bowl. Right? With the instrument of execution carried by someone from the country walking next to it. They walk up the steps to this temple. The crowds are acclaiming. People are burning incense. They offer Caesar a bowl of wine. Caesar says no. Pours it out over the bowl. They sacrifice the bull at that moment. The, the sacrificial animal. And then Caesar ascends up the steps. To the acclaim of the crowds. Now there was one last part to this whole thing. And then we can move on. They always looked for a sign of blessing from the gods. So the emperor Nero strategically scheduled his triumph on a day his astronomer said there'd be an eclipse. So that when the eclipse happened, hey, this is a sign from the gods. They would look at where birds were flying. They would, I mean, they would see divine portents and signs everywhere. But they were always looking for a sign of the God's favor, the sign of the God's affirmation that this indeed is the emperor and this person now indeed is deified. Does this make sense so far? I know, fascinating. That's why you came today, I know. Now what I want to do is I want to take that template and I want to put Mark's account over it. And I want you to see how genius Mark is at showing that Jesus is undergoing a triumph of his own. He's writing to Romans who were precisely familiar, had seen this play out, and so hear it with fresh ears. All right, fire it up if you would, Bruce. So step one, the entire Praetorian Guard assembles in the Praetorium. Here's Mark's account. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace that is the Praetorium and called together the whole company of soldiers. Now, by itself, that just seems, okay, well, you know, it's a fluke possibly coincidental next a purple robe golden wreath and scepter were brought to Caesar and then notice what Mark says they put a purple robe on Jesus then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him again and again they struck him on the head with a what a staff and they spit on him coincidence next slide I hope there are more because we're building up to something here. Come on, Bruce, don't fail me. All right, I'm going to start telling jokes, but I need those slides, kiddies. I need them. We were cooking. Andy Bear, give me something. Amy Ray, why don't you come up and tell your story again? Dance moves? moves? Oh, yeah. Oh, you'd like that. Attendance would double. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm just going to stand here. You can't out-awkward me. I'm I'm the king of awkward. So I'm just going to stand here and look at you. Tell children's we're going to go over, Clearly. You want to some Seth stories? Oh, I'll tell you a Seth story. So we have a seven year old. What did he say this morning, baby? Two to church. Yep. And uh, he goes, Did daddy talk? Right and he said, Yes, in microphone. He said, Yeah. He said, Talk to Read the Bible. That's right. That's right. Seth, so Seth has Down syndrome. He's seven. He kind of. Oh! <laughs> finish the story. Finish the story. Well, no, no, I mean, so, so Seth, so he, it's like there was a crumb left over from the Big Bang and placed into a human person. And he is an agent of chaos and disorder. And so so before he was all cute this morning, he shoved our other son's electric toothbrush down into the toilet and cost $2,500 of sweet water damage to our rental, which we, we just adore him. Adore him. And then, and then the other day, he was shoving whole toilet paper rolls down into the thing, which, you know, is so awesome. All right, so that's Seth. All right, so there we go. All right, we're back. Are you ready? All right, it's a smooth operation, Mikey. I'm telling you what. Caesar is then acclaimed by the Praetorians. They call out, Hail, Caesar. Notice what Mark says. Jesus is in front of the praetorian guard, and they began to call out to Jesus, Hail, King of the Jews. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. Next. (laughs) Come on, there are like seven more. (laughs) My Lord, take the wheel, Jesus. All right, here we go. Caesar leads the triumphal procession through the city, accompanied by the sacrificial bull and a servant carrying the axe used to execute the animal. Here's Mark's account. They led Jesus out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon the father of Alexander and Rufus, who was passing by on his way in from the what? And they forced him to carry the what? So, next to the bull was always a man from the country carrying the instrument of execution. That was part of the triumph. Next slide. They proceed to Capitoline Hill, meaning head hill. So that hill where the temple of Jupiter was, was called Head Hill. And the reason it was called that was because when Rome was founded, they found an undecayed head there. So the myth went. And the soothsayers at the time said, you found a head here. This place will make you the head of all Italy. And so they called Capitoline Hill, Head Hill. Notice, where does Jesus end up getting crucified? They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, or like we said, you could translate it, the place of the head, interestingly enough. Next slide. Wine is offered to Caesar, but he refuses it, pouring it out. Then they offered Jesus wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Next slide. The sacrifice is made at the bottom of the steps of the Temple of Jupiter what, what's Mark say? It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charged against him read, "The king of the Jews." So immediately after the wine was poured out, the animal was sacrificed. Immediately after Jesus was offered wine, he was crucified next. Caesar ascended the steps of the temple with two others of significance, one on his right, one on his left. And what, what do they say? Very specifically about Jesus? They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Next slide. In a Roman triumph, now Caesar standing there would receive public acclaim. Mark's account. Those who passed by hurled insults at Jesus, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way that chief priests and teachers of the law mocked him among themselves, he saved others, but he can't save himself. So instead of a claim, he's getting insult. Next slide. Next slide. One more. Andy. Andy. I'm done. I'm out. Oh, okay. Good Lord. We'd have been, church would be done half an hour earlier if we could just get this sucker to work right. Caesar's ascension would be accompanied by signs and portends from the gods. What's Mark say? At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, what's he say? Surely this man's the son of God. Why did he say that? So notice what Mark's done. Now, Mark didn't invent this stuff. It's not like Mark said, hey, okay, I got it. I'm gonna make Jesus, no, 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 no. But if you're Roman, how in the world would you ever be convinced that the true Messiah of the world was somebody that was crucified by your government, The only only kind of messiahs that were crucified messiahs were failed messiahs, right? So how in the world, if you were Roman, would you ever come to believe someone crucified actually was the messiah? Well, because Mark presents Jesus as the anti-Caesar, right? Caesar is all about glory and honor and upward, and Jesus was just the reverse, Jesus, I mean, think about it. And I'm not saying you agree with this, but think about it. If If Jesus really was God with clothes on, God walking around on planet Earth, what kind of God goes through this? What kind of God allows God's self to go through this? I mean, this is absolutely crazy because what's being presented are two visions of what human life could be, right? There are two coronations happening. The coronation of Caesar accompanied by all of the acclaim, and all of the press, and all the glory, or the coronation of Jesus. And immediately, immediately after his crucifixion, his followers began claiming that that was actually the triumph of God. And, 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 and it's no wonder that Paul says in one of his letters, listen, the cross is foolishness to people who are not Jewish. Well, it's offense to Jews, but it's foolishness to non-Jews. Why? Because it makes no sense that God would conquer death by dying, that God would absorb suffering by suffering, that no one saw this coming. And so what you have now is two completely different visions. You have two different kingdoms, two different kings, two different ways of defining what human flourishing looks like. One built on power and conquest and glory. One built on suffering and service and love. And those are the choices that you still make today. Right? Because you can say you follow a crucified Messiah, but the crucified Messiah is never going to lead you to power, glory, and conquest. Ever. Ever. The crucified Messiah will always take you down so that you're suffering and so that you're serving and so that you're loving. I mean, this is how it works. And so it's so brilliant what's being done here. Because you have a triumph the ascension of Caesar, the best the world and its kingdoms can do, Caesar. And you have the triumph of this Galilean peasant the best that God can do. I mean, come on. And so if you're Roman and you're reading this account, what you're being confronted with is you either have to believe Caesar's lie or you have to believe the Christian's lie, right? Because you would have assumed the Christians were lying about this. But you could not believe both. You can't believe when the Christians say that this was triumph, you can't believe that Caesar's is triumph too. Because it was using the exact same imagery. Do you, make, do you understand? So the temptation was, if you're Roman, the temptation was to think, great, we'll just add Jesus to the list of Roman deities. We'll just add Jesus. It's just another one. What the heck? Well, there's a problem there. But when they take imagery from Caesar and use it and flip it upside down to announce the kingdom of Jesus, Well, now you've got to pick. Because according to the Roman story, Jesus lost. And according to the Christian story, Jesus won. Which are you going to believe? See, that's why Christians have the audacity to talk about something called Good Friday. Because that story isn't good. That story isn't beautiful. That story is awful. Yes, worthy of a text. (laughs) Text it. (laughs) But here's the thing. Whether or not you buy this, is anybody singing songs about Caesar Augustus today? Anybody singing songs about Caesar? No. No. But here we are. Some of us are singing songs to this Jesus. Here we are. You can go to Rome, and you can walk the streets, and and it's a beautiful, beautiful tourist place. Right? And yet, no one is singing songs to Caesar today caesar is a salad and that's the best caesar i mean can you imagine no one at rome no one in rome was going to sit there and say we should name a salad after this guy right that's the only context we have for caesar and yet we worship this beaten and bloodied galilean jew because to some degree you and i have actually come to believe to some degree that the picture presented by Jesus is more triumphant than the picture presented by Caesar. Now, we're still picking today, correct? I mean, there's a picture of greatness out there that looks a lot like a triumphal procession. And there's a picture of greatness today that looks a lot like Mother Teresa. And we're picking. You're picking. Every choice you're making, you're picking between kings and kingdoms. Greatness, service. Conquest, humility. Greed, generosity. Pride, serving others. Right? I mean, you're constantly choosing. So, when we take the bread and the cup, Christians have been doing this for centuries, right? Since Jesus came. We take bread, and we take wine, but ours is grape juice, and we have a gluten-free station over there. We take bread... And we take wine or juice and we take these elements and they're reminders, the scriptures tell us, of what it was that Jesus actually did, of what it was that Jesus actually was like. That Jesus didn't just come to offer like pearls of wisdom or great moral teaching, but Jesus, as God with clothes on, the idea was that Jesus came and suffered the worst the world can do and was victorious over it. So that his followers then would be fearless and reenact his mission. It's worthy of a phone call. <laughs> uh, is that you, Wade? No. Okay. I'll answer it. I'll be glad to answer it. She can't talk right now. She's in the middle of a sermon that is losing steam fast. Now So, what we do at this point uh, is we open up the table uh, for anybody who wants to come. That the insults that we looked at were all pictures of Jesus welcoming the unsavory, the unlikely, the unworthy to the table. So, if that's you, and that turns out to be the only kind of people there are, if that's you, you're welcome to the table. You're welcome to the table if you have doubts. You're welcome to the table if you're a big sinner. You're welcome to the table if you're screwed up, if you're a misfit, if you're an outcast. You're welcome. Jesus stands ready to receive all of those who would call upon his name. But please understand, when you take the bread, the picture of Jesus' body broken, and you take the cup, the picture of his blood that was spilled, you're not just taking something that benefits you, you're actually receiving then a job description that goes with it. That you and I then would pick up the mantle of what greatness looks like in his movement. And what's greatness look like? Well, you just saw a triumphal procession. That's what greatness looks like in the kingdom. If you're still enamored with greatness elsewhere, take the bread and the cup. And we recognize that God forgives us for all of the ways we're lured back into what the world defines as great. But understand, though, the power of the bread and the cup lies not just in looking backward, but looking forward too to what we're called to be and do in the world. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do more singing. If you're not a big singing fan, I get it. Um, But Christians for generations have sung their prayers. And so we sing our prayers. Um, Some people will stand and lift their arms. Don't be freaked out by that. We do it at sporting events and rock concerts. So we're fans of Jesus, some of us, and so we'll do that too. You're more than welcome to just sit and to watch. But we're going to open up the communion stations. um, And you're more than welcome to come. Again, Gluten Free is over there, which I always laugh about. Um, I don't know why. I mean, some of you are gluten free. I know it matters. I'm going to do a bread-free communion station once, like a low-carb communion station. I don't know what that's going to be, like a piece of beef jerky. (laughs) And then what we're going to do is next to the folks up here, uh, or the stations, we're going to have people who have Vox t-shirts, you don't get one yet, um, who uh, who are available to pray. And um, they'll be praying for you, whether or not you come to them, they just will be praying over the, this place. Uh, but they're there for you. And if there's anything we can pray for, we'd be honored, honored, honored to do it. And then thirdly, they're, they're, part, uh, they're a group in our community who support us financially, and it's absolutely amazing. They have dedicated themselves to fighting against the consumerism that infects all of us, and they do that by practicing generosity. If that's you, reminder that there are participation boxes all around. So uh, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for the PowerPoint. Um, I'm going to pray uh, that God's Spirit will be moving and capturing our hearts. And so let me do that, and then we'll just uh, go together for the rest of our time. So Lord Jesus, um, there is so much that is packed into these verses that we miss. And I pray, Lord, that you would capture us again into how beautiful you are and what it means to follow, uh, for those of us who do, a Savior that Is so willing to go into those places in the world that are dark, so willing to suffer with those who suffer, and to be insulted with those who are marginalized. And God, we pray that not only we would receive the blessing of restoration and renewal that comes from trust and faith in you, but that we would also be bearers of this in the world, that this is our job description, this is what it looks like, that we would be captured by a different definition of greatness. And God, I pray particularly for those people who are the marginalized, people like Amy Ray, who have felt on the margins of church life, the margins of religious life. Lord, I pray that you would compel them to come and to receive. Lord, to to know with absolute certainty they're not only welcomed, they're sought after. And God, more, more than anything else, we pray that Jesus would reveal his beauty again and again to us, so that we'd be compelled by him We pray this in his name. Amen. You made it. You made it. I can't ever take that away from you. I don't know. All right, let me pray. Um, We're so glad you're here. Say hi to somebody as you leave, if you want, or if you're introverted. We love you, um, and we bless you in your introversion. Um, And then uh, just a reminder, check out the website. If you have any feedback for us today, feedback at voxoc.com. And uh, any feedback that begins with, man, could you fix the PowerPoint? Uh, Already considered. (laughs) Already considered. We got that one. All right, so uh, let me just pray over you as you go. We're thrilled that you're with us this morning. God, we're so very grateful for life and breath and everything else today. And we ask you that you would hold out before us the beauty, the grace, the majesty of Jesus of Nazareth, that that would be so compelling we would be pulled into a way of life that imitates him, that blesses others, and that brings life and light. Father, we pray in the name of this Jesus. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the Box Community Podcast. Participate in the Box Community at boxoc.com slash
1: participate.